Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. All right, you should be in Romans chapter 1 by now. Amen. Romans chapter 1, I want to begin with verse 16. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Amen. From glory to glory, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You and I make a living by believing in what we cannot see. That's where we live. Faith is a realm where you and I need to become comfortable living in. In fact, I would say it this way. It should be unnatural to you, uncomfortable even, to only live by what you see. To only live by what nature and society and culture is telling you. To only live by how the doctor's report comes. To only live by what's in the bank account. To only live by how your spouse is treating you. To only live by how your kids are living. To to only merely live according to what is already happening is the most unnatural way a believer lives. Believers live in what has not yet taken place. Believers are a step ahead. And man, when God provides and when God shows up and when you have believed and you've stood and God is in demonstration is performing that and doing that in your life, he's already on to the next thing. Now you're celebrating, you're rejoicing, you're dancing. But honestly, we ought to be so faith-filled that when it actually happens, you just, I mean, I remember Pastor Earl, you know, they just recently purchased the mall and they've been standing for that mall down in St. Augustine, Florida for the church now. Y'all, I mean, really since we were there, 11, 12 years now. And of course, when the talks started and man, it was a faith project. I mean, it's, you know, over $11 million to purchase that thing. And, and, and so he said, man, when we, when we finally got it, when we finally signed on the dotted line, I mean, it was, I had already felt like it was mine. Signing the daughter, he said, I didn't run around the room. I wasn't rejoicing. I had done all the rejoicing and the running and the praising and the celebrating years before that. There was a distinct moment in 2015 uh, where uh, there was a service that, man, if you had what you were believing for, what would you look like? And man, he took off. I was in the service. He took off running. He was dancing, rejoicing, and, and you know, not a dime in the bank or nowhere near what they needed. But that's the way faith operates. You're, you're, you're surprised if it doesn't happen. You're surprised if you don't get healed. You're surprised if they don't raise up. You're surprised if it, the money doesn't come in. You're surprised if the marriage not restored. You're surprised if it doesn't align with the word of God. Because when God speaks a thing, he doesn't say something to speak. He says something to do. Not just saying it's literally how God performs when he speaks a word. It's as if he's doing it. He sent his word and he healed them, delivered them from their diseases. 
His word will not return void. It will accomplish. His words accomplish. His words perform. His words do something. So it's, it is the nature of the believer. The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. What a weird statement that the invisible is clearly visible. Clearly. The invisible is the is clearly visible, easily seen. Like it, you, you have to work hard to miss it. Is basically the, the the connotation here. Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. I want to stop right there just for a moment. We just got out of a series uh, for the last really couple months uh, talking about being distinct distinguishable. What does the church, what should the church look like, especially in these last days? And and what a powerful series each week to look at ways that you and I can be distinct, set apart, uh, not just in holiness, in righteousness, and those sort of things, um, but how the church is to be an answer and a solution to the things that we're seeing in the world. I want to remind you that everything that's happening around you is the very reason why you and I exist. And you and I have the great privilege and honor of living in such crisis. Yes, that's right. I said privilege. You are privileged to live in the day that you're living in. You are called. You are assigned. You are appointed. You have been marked for this moment in history. For such a time as this have you been sent. Not Paul, not David, not Moses, uh, not Samson, not even Jesus himself. You and I have been sent for this day, this time. And every pressure, every opposition, every conflict, every challenge that arises only brings you and I more meaning and more purpose. I was just talking with with Matt back in the office. We were talking about some things and, and we made this statement. We said, the church never performs well in comfort. Over time, the church has never done very well in seasons of comfort, in seasons of agreement, in seasons where you're supported, in seasons where people let you go along and do. But it's amazing in contrast how well the church has done in crisis. We just talked about crisis last week. In fact, in history, not just in the book of Acts, although the book of Acts was the precursor, was the catalyst, But from the book of Acts on throughout history, the church has performed so well, drastically better, far improved in crisis than it does in comfort. When you're challenged, when you're provoked, when you are uh, uh, obstructed, when you're opposed, it's amazing how well the church has risen to the challenge every single time. They can't get this book off the planet. 
They've tried. They, 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 they've, look, we, we have done things and even in our own country, removing God from schools and, and trying to remove them from, and they can't do it. They cannot succeed. Just this past week, I was in two of our schools praying with teachers and instructors. And in fact, I even had someone invite me to pray over their sports team. And they had to give the, the little, you know, if you don't want to be here, uh, you don't have to stay. You're dismissed. We can't keep you here. And not one student left. They all stayed. And I got to challenge them from the word of God. I talked about Jesus. I gave scripture. I prayed over them in a school. They can try all they want to remove God out of society and remove God from life and remove God from, from even people's mouths, but they, they cannot. I mean, the, the church has responded by saying, if you want to remove God, you're going to have to remove me. And that's, that's, that's amazing that in times like even what we're seeing today, it has caused greatness to come out of the church. But the church finds a way to sleep in comfort. The church gets lulled to sleep when, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're given into and, and we're allowed and, and no one's disrupting and no one's challenging. It's amazing how the church has responded in these things. And so throughout this, uh, you know, as, as I was going through the series, one of my uh, Sundays I wanted to dedicate to being distinct in identity, knowing who you are. It's amazing something as simple as identity is being challenged and questioned today. And for the believer, we're seeing the same thing. There are so many different identities that believers have. But as I was going through, I was like, man, I, I, I cannot relegate this to just one Sunday distinct in identity and then move on. I've got, I mean, we've got to open this thing up. And so we're going to, we're going to go there. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about who you are in Christ. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about you, not what religion says about you. Religion will steal your identity. Religion is the greatest thief of identity to the believer that has been showing up since Genesis chapter three. Not what a denomination identifies you as. Not what your grandparents identify you as. Not, um, you know, what, what, what your you know, side of the tracks or uh, uh, your family structure or your pay grade or where you were or even what part of the nation. I mean, you know, even in Christian uh, circles, depending on where you live in the United States typically determines how you believe and, and what you carry. Some areas are more denominational than others. Some areas are more unbelieving and lost than others. I mean, there's, there's cities like, you know, Boston, and New York City that are just, they're unchurched. I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, there's no value for it. But then you get into areas like ours. We got churches on every corner. But, but identity is not found in where I go to church. Identity is not found in what denomination I hold to. Identity is not found in well, how, my, how my parents raised me. You know, we, we have an epidemic that's taking place with our young people that they're going to secular universities and they're getting dismantled in what they believe about the word of God. They are getting ripped apart. They're getting chewed up and spit out two weeks into classes. 
because they've never had to stand up for what they believed in. They've never had to have been challenged for why do I believe what I believe and why do I know what I know and why is this, why am I, it, it was grandma's theology and it was my parents' tradition and this is just what we always did. And they're ending up in secular environments that now challenge and oppose who they are and why I believe. We need to have a people that know who they are and know what they believe and can stand in the face of, of even the strictest opposition. We gotta, we've, got to, we've got to help the next generation know who they are. But our generation's got to know who they are. I can't give away what I don't have. I can't pass on what, I'm, what is not already a part of me. And so in that, we have um, an identity crisis. And I need to set some principle in place. I need to lay some groundwork, if you will. I need to um, give us a good solid foundation to build on of why is identity, which ought to be the most basic thing, the most simplest thing to comprehend and to understand why is it being challenged in such a way and why are people falling prey to the identity crisis? Why are we giving in? like this. And we see principle here in Romans chapter one, you know, Paul starts off and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is what he says in verse 16, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew and for the Greek, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Those are identifiers. Jew and Greek, those were ways that people identified but then in verse 17, this is what he says. For in it, in what? In the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So notice there's revealing taking place. There's revelation happening. The wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What is that? Ungodliness and unrighteousness is simply not aligning with the word of God. To break it down, that's simply what it is. There's what God says, and then there's the opposite of that. What's contrary to that? What gets us out of alignment? And he says here, that the unrighteousness, the ungodliness, uh, the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men comes from those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Here's what you have to know is that identity is laid by truth. Identity is laid, is determined by truth. See, we live in a world today that wants to tell us that identity is decided. Have you noticed this? That we decide after the fact. I mean, we, you know, we've got so much silliness going on in, in this arena in, in just the natural uh, tense of identity and how do you identify and what do you identify as, uh, you know, all the way from, you know, the basic things like sex and gender all the way to, uh, you know, 
um, what you believe, uh, you know, how you carry yourself um, all, all the way through. But I want to tell you, you know, we can laugh about those things and we can mock those kind of things, but we have the same kind of crisis and deception happening in believers in the church. We sure do. We sure do. And he gives us the insight here. He says that the truth has been suppressed. This is the interesting thing about this verse. He goes on to say, about this passage rather, he goes on to say in verse, um, well, let's read verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest. What we know about God, it's manifest. It's been revealed. It's out there. He's not trying to hide it from you. For God has shown it to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. He says, even what you can't see is clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood that the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, and this is what it says, so that they are without excuse. This is what this passage tells me. The truth is both obvious and mysterious. Truth is both obvious, cannot be mistaken, and mysterious, hidden. Now, how do we get here? How do we get to the point that the most easiest, simplest thing to see and receive and believe has also become the hardest thing to grasp a hold of? How do we get there? It's through the suppressing of truth. See, truth isn't hidden until it's suppressed. Truth starts out revealed. Truth starts out as this is what it is. It's not until it's challenged, questioned, distorted, perverted. Come on. That it gets hidden. And now truth becomes mysterious. And now we find ourselves questioning things, challenging things that ought to be the most obvious, simplest, easiest things to grasp. This is how we find ourselves in the place where, where we are asking some of the dumbest questions, where we are challenging some things that used to be common sense, where, we, where it seems there is no more common sense. Everything's up for grabs now. Anything can be challenged. Anything can be questioned. And the crazy thing about it is the person that is cynical, the person that is skeptical, the person that questions is seen as smarter than the one that just simply believes it for what it is. We now promote them on a higher level of wisdom. We promote them on a higher level of intellect. Come on. We promote them on a higher level of under, man, how wise are they? That they're, that they're asking, you know, it, it does gender, is it really determined by the biology of your body? Are you kidding me? But that person is deemed as smarter, wiser on a wavelength that you and I have got to catch up to because we're stuck in the, the, the archaic ages of just simply believing that what's between the legs defines who you are. Y'all with me? And that's obviously an easy example to give you. 
But we do this across the board in so many different ways. There is a suppressing, a hiding, a a distorting of truth. And here's what I know about the devil. Whatever he attacks is an identifier of what he's afraid of. Whatever the devil, whatever you find him attacking identifies what he's scared of. Because here's the thing about truth. Even though the devil is a liar, I mean, I I would tell you this way. You you can't lie until you know the truth. Which came first, the truth or the lie? Well, it can't be a lie until there's truth. That's why in Genesis chapter 3, the devil doesn't show up, the snake doesn't show up until what? God's given commands. He's given his word. He's spoken truth. That's why I said truth comes first and truth is obvious. Truth is easy. But then the devil shows up and he begins to question. He begins to challenge. He begins to distort. He begins to twist. See, truth is easy to believe if there's no alternative. And see, the world wants to tell you that if you believe something without having an alternative, that you're not progressive. You're not wise. So we need to have, we need to bring bring them to the table. They want to have conversations. Why? They want to introduce alternatives. We need to be careful in these last days, the conversations and the dialogue and the debates and the questioning that we're engaging and entertaining. You know, I've, I've been hearing this term lately. I guess it's been around for a little while, a deconstructing or deconstruction of faith. Are y'all familiar with this? I mean, people that once follow God. I, I just saw a video just, just last night of a guy that, that started this whole new movement, came, came out of the evangelical church in the United States and, and began seeing things that were wrong, began seeing things that were twisted, began uh, seeing the way a lot of evangelicals have been acting uh, in, in the face of a lot of things in culture in the last two years. Now, I'll tell you what, the, 2020 disrupted a lot of stuff. And probably the greatest thing it disrupted was people's belief systems. And this guy is going on this whole new rant of of challenging and questioning everything about the evangelical movement in the United States. And, and, And he seems like the wise one for asking questions that no one has asked until now. Oh, you've got to be careful the questions that you ask. The way the devil introduces himself is with questions. He infiltrates. He Before he gives you a command, he'll ask a question. Y'all remember that in, in, in school growing up? The different types of sentences, right? There's a declarative statement that ends with a period, right? There's an exclamation statement that ends with an exclamation point. And then there's, um, you know, the, the questioning statements that end with what? A question mark. Well, before the devil says something that ends with the period, he asks something that ends with the question mark. We're going to look at it here in just a moment. And this is how truth gets suppressed. People don't just decide, I don't want to believe that anymore. I want to go a different way. They entertain an alternative version of what God was trying to say from the beginning. 
And I'm telling you right now, I, you, you can call me old, archaic, uh, uh, you know, outdated, whatever you want, but you cannot challenge me on anything in the word without bringing the word. Don't bring me someone's experience. Don't bring me what someone's been through. Don't tell me uh, the book and the author and the prophet so-and-so and the evangelist so-and-so and the revival that they led. It means nothing to me if it cannot be backed up with Scripture. If you're not standing on the Word, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. Even the people that I follow, I follow them because they follow the word and they can give me the word. And at the end of the day, I weed through all that and I don't stand on it because Kenneth Hagin said it or because, uh, you know, so-and-so said it or Earl Glisses said it. And you shouldn't believe anything in this church because Mark Brady said it. You believe it because it's in the word of God, period. Don't be so lazy that you just take a note and jot down one of my quotes because I, I, can, I can be creative in how I word things and not find out what the word says. And I will give you the word. Let everything be confirmed with two or three witnesses. I'm not here to give you my opinion. My opinion is worthless just like yours. My opinion was not going to save you. My opinion is not going to deliver you. My opinion is not going to heal you. My opinion is not going to bring your marriage back to restoration. My, my opinion is not going to save your kids. My opinion is not going to get you a new job. My opinion is not going to do anything for you. But God's word? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you got to know the truth, right? Knowing the truth will what? Set you free. We got to know the truth. But the problem is, is truth today is both obvious and mysterious. Truth today is easily discoverable, but it remains a mystery for people that want to always have an alternative. Today, there is a fear in our culture to align with something securely and, and, and hold to a truth and hold to a value deeply and not entertain other ideas. Have you noticed that? They, they've created a fear in us that well, well, maybe I'm not asking enough questions. Maybe, maybe I'm not seeing this from all perspectives. I value your perspective and I value what you've been through and I value what you've experienced. But I can tell you right now, the only perspective I want is heaven's. I want a kingdom perspective. I want to see things the way God sees it. Come on now. I want to see from above. Things look way different from above than down here, don't they? And I want to see it the way God sees it. I want to get his lens. I want to get his viewpoint. I want to get his truth. I want to get his perspective on it. I mean, you, you can go to chasing perspectives. I mean, go ahead and post it this afternoon on Facebook and see how many different perspectives you get. Where should I send my cool? Should, my, my kids? Should I send them out of, should I pull them out of public school? Should I put them in private school? Should I just homeschool them? Which homeschool curriculum should I use? I mean, I see people ask questions all the time. And that's great. You can do that. It's great to get help from other people. But I hope that's not replacing the Holy Spirit in your life. I hope that's not replacing what God is saying and what God wants you to do and where God's leading you. That's why I'm very careful. When, when people ask me, what do I do about this? Or what about, uh, what do I do about that? Or what did you do? Sometimes they'll ask me what I did. And sometimes I won't tell them. How did you get your healing? That's not, a, that's not what matters. Because the way I got my healing might not be the way God's calling you to get yours. And the second you try to align 
your formula or pattern with mine is the second you may miss out on what God's word is saying directly to you. Let's hook up with the Holy Spirit. Let's hook up with God. Let's find out what his word says and we start from there. Amen. So this truth gets suppressed. It gets hidden. Uh, It remains obscure. Verse 21 says that because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. So the next thing that goes is our thinking. When I start opening myself up to this questioning, to this challenging, to this, uh, you know, could there be another way idea? The, the first thing that goes is my feudal mind. Have you ever noticed your mind's not going to keep up with God's word? No matter how hard you try. You can go to a seminary. You can go to a theological center. You can, you can do all the natural uh, development and all the natural intellect and increase in knowledge all you want. But at the end of the day, at some point, you're going to have to get outside of your thinking and get outside of your knowledge and get. I went to Bible school, but I'm telling you right now, Bible school uh, uh, did, did not replace the Holy Spirit for me. And I make the statement all the time, I could write a book of the things they didn't teach me in Bible school. And I've heard, you know, other Bible school, you know, some of my counterparts, some of the guys I went to school with or other people that went to my school. I went to, I believe, the best school on the planet when it comes to ministry training. Well, I, you know, I wish they would have told us how to do this. I wish they would have taught us how to handle. No, you know what they taught you is to be led by the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit say to do about budgeting? What does the Holy Spirit say to do about buying that property? What does the Holy Spirit say to do about gaining that facility? What is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? I mean, so we're all looking for a replacement for just being led by the Holy Spirit. We want to be told what to do. And we want natural measures to replace supernatural measures. But the ones that truly gained the proper knowledge and the, and the proper schooling and the proper learning from the school I went to are the ones that are not going around saying, uh, this is all the natural stuff they taught me. They're the ones that are going around saying, I had to hear from heaven on this situation. I had to go and get alone and fast for three days to find out what God wanted to do about this. I had to separate myself. I had to get in the word. I, you know, you, you can gain natural knowledge and still be at a deficit. You can gain all the understanding in the world and still be deficient in what God wants you to do. You're always going to be missing it. You better start learning how to believe and quit trying to understand. I'll understand as much as I can understand, but where my understanding leaves off, my believing starts to kick in. Y'all with me? It says that although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, became futile in their thoughts, professing to be wise they became fools. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we got today. We got a lot of professors in wisdom, but we actually went backwards. Anytime you think you can get wise without God, you've already walked the dip, you've already turned yourself in the direction of becoming a fool. Foolish thinking. Y'all remember what foolish is? In the Bible, those of y'all that have been around, lack of spiritual sense. 
literally what that word foolish means. Not foolish like I'm dumb and stupid and I can't comprehend, I can't understand, and I don't know that naturally. It's I've lost the capacity to contact and touch spiritually, and I have relegated everything to the natural. That's what he's saying. You've become foolish. You're trying to do this all in the natural capacity. You're trying to do all of this in your natural ability. You're trying to understand this in your cognitive ability. If you're going to walk in the truth of God's word, we're going to have to learn how to live out of the supernatural more than we do the natural. You're going to have to learn how to make contact out of the supernatural, out of the spiritual realm, and stop trying to uh, digest and and stop trying to engage and and stop trying to, uh, you know, uh, respond to everything just from a natural sense alone. What is the Spirit of God saying, and how in tune is your spirit to His Spirit? Otherwise, we just become foolish. Professing to be wise... They become fools. And it says in verse 23, and they change the glory of the incorruptible God. Now you're not changing God. You're just changing your perspective of God. You can't change God. You can't change him with your thinking. You can't change him with your expectation. You can't change him with your experience. You can't change him with with, with what he did or what he's going to do or what you think he should do. God is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not lie. But our perspectives of God change. Our perspectives of God, our view of God, what we believe about God, they change the glory of God, of the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts and the dishonor of their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Now, no one makes that exchange knowingly. You don't know you're, tra- you're exchanging truth for a lie. You believe you're changing lie for a truth. And that's the twist. That's the deception. That's the distortion that takes place as a result of entertaining alternative, as a result of entertaining questions and challenging things. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even in their women, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. At the end of the day, this is what he says. Now their function is compromised. How you were designed to operate, what you were designed to do, how you were designed to perform. So twisted. All began by what? Suppressing truth. All began by what? Doubting and questioning truth. Challenging truth. And now we're, we're all the way down into, into verse, uh, you know, 27, where we've got women trying to be with women and men trying to be with men. And I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just giving you a principle of the matter. How do we deteriorate this far? How do we wind up in this area? How do we wind in a place where we, we, we so challenge and distort even the function of our own bodies that we make it work even though it's not designed to work that way? 
We suppress truth. I'm still talking about identity. Verse 28 says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Notice that God will let you. This is the third time now that we've read this, that God allowed them, God gave them over, God handed them over to the lust of their flesh, to the debased mind, to their thinking. He will let you. Truth is not something. Truth is something you will be held accountable for, but it's not something that he will force you to follow. If you think you can find another way, he's more, you're, you're more welcome. If you think you can, you, you, can, you can do this differently, you're more than welcome. If you think that, that you can find another solution to this problem or find another way to engage this or another way, then he's going to let you. He will turn you over to your, dis, your, your debased mind and it will grow. He goes on to say, uh, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Isn't that amazing? That you'll get to a point where you run out of evil satisfying you and you'll find new ways to sin. Invent new ways to sin. It's what it says. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, they know. They know. Guys, I'm telling you right now, there is nobody on this planet that is walking in wickedness that literally thinks this is the right way to do it. They know. As far down as they may try to push that, as far down as they may try to, 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 to squelch that thing, and as much as they'll try to applaud and celebrate and, and tolerate wickedness, they know deep down inside this is wrong. They know. We already saw it's been made manifest to them. We already saw that truth is obvious. And they know it's deserving of death, but not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. I want to look at this in a couple other translations real quick, just a few of these verses. In the Amplified Classic, in verse 18, it reads this way. Verse 18, For God's holy wrath and indignation are revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness repress and hinder the truth and make it inoperative. What's that mean? Truth sets you free. But that means if it's inoperative, I find myself bound. I find myself in bondage. I find myself deceived. Verse 21 says, Because when they knew and recognized him as God, they did not honor and glorify him as God or give him thanks, but instead they became futile and godless in their thinking with vain imaginings, foolish reasoning. And stupid speculations. That's in the Bible. I love the Amplified. I love how easy and open. It's the truth of God's word. It's already obvious. And now it's even making it more. That they're introducing stupid speculations. They're introducing foolish reasonings. They're introducing new ways to think about things that we don't need to find a new way to think about it. 
showing us how they how it works and their senseless minds were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools professing to be smart they made simpletons of themselves verse 32 Verse 32 says, though they are fully aware of God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them themselves, but approve and applaud others who practice. Truth suppressed. How do we end up in an identity crisis? How do we find ourselves questioning and challenging and not believing and disbelieving the things that God has made so plain in his word? In the Passion Translation, show you a few of these passages, just helps us open up some things here. I love what verse 17 says in the Passion Translation. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness. A perfect righteousness given to us when we believe, and it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living That's this gospel. It's a continual revelation. It's a continual revelation. Why don't they want God's word in schools? Because it's a continual revelation. Not just a revealer of good. It'll reveal what's wrong. And we become responsible for what we know. Verse 18 For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both toward ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively. People know instinctively what's righteous and unrighteous. People know instinctively what's right and wrong. People know instinctively what is up and down. But aren't all those the things that are backwards today? Isn't up, down, and down is up, and left is right, and right is left, and wrong is good, and good is wrong? Aren't all those things the things that are so twisted and backwards today? It's showing it to us right here. For God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. That even the ones questioning and challenging, they know deep down, this is backwards. This is not the way. This is not how it's supposed to be. They know this. Verse 21 says, Throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them, yet they refused to honor him as God or even be thankful for his kindness. Instead, here it is, they entertained, entertained corrupt and foolish thoughts about what God was like. They entertained it. It was introduced as a question. Entertained means I didn't have to receive this. Entertain means I don't have to believe this if I don't want to. I don't have to receive this idea of God or this perspective. I don't have to live this way if I don't want to, but you entertain it long enough that you become it. Verse 25 says, verse 25 says, all because they traded the truth of God for a lie. Verse 28, Because they thought it was worthless to embrace the the true knowledge of God, God gave them over to a worthless mindset to break all rules of proper conduct. And it ends with verse 32. Although they are fully aware of God's laws and proper order, 
and knowing that those who do all these things deserve to die, yet they still go headlong into darkness, encouraging others to do the same and implauding them when they do. Sounds like that was written about 2022. That was written 2,000 years ago. Sounds extremely relevant to today. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Let's tie this together. We know what the enemy hates. We know what the enemy is afraid of by what he challenges. It's an indicator. It's an identifier. The thing you have to understand about the devil is he knows more than you. Yes. He knows more than you. That's what makes him so vile, and that's what makes him so um, sinful and wicked, is the fact that he knows better and still does what he does. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. He lies because he knows the truth and refuses to follow. He is the greatest suppressor of truth. He is the greatest deceiver. Bible says in Revelation that he is the deceiver of the brethren. He has come to deceive. He has come to twist. He has come to distort. And in very many ways, even some of the most smallest, uh, you know, almost, uh, you know, microscopic ways, he has even caused us to believe things that aren't true, to suppress truth, And it's leading us to not see the victory that we know God's word promises us. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it simply tells us that he is more cunning than any beast of the field. The serpent was more cunning. Right there, instantaneously, we understand the nature of the devil. That he's not going to come out with a bold-faced lie. He's not going to come out and just say, I am God's opponent. I am here to challenge God and everything that God says. I am here to challenge you and everything that you think you're going to do. I am here as your adversary to stand in your way. Listen to me. <laughs> says he's cunning, tricky, deceptive. So it lets us know the nature of how truth is suppressed. Truth isn't suppressed by just a blatant introduction. I know it's easy to look at things today and say, man, some of these people are so bold. Some of these people, people ask me, why are you so bold? Why do you preach so bold? Because they're bold. The violent have to respond violently, have to be responded to violently. And why am I going to be hush, hush, quiet and soft and pander around when they will stand in your face and tell you that anybody can use any bathroom they want? But I have to be quiet. The people, I always want the church to be quiet. People want quiet church, even with the music. I tell our guys back there, turn it up. Come on, why is the football game louder than the church? Why is the concert louder than the church? Why is the bar louder than the church? Why is the radio in your car louder than you than it gets in here? Man, 
I mean, it wasn't but 12 hours ago you were rooting for your favorite team, screaming at the television, throwing stuff around, hooting and hollering. But we can't run in here. We can't jump in here. We can't shout in here. We can't raise our hands in here. But you did all of that last night. And I'm getting on it early because it ain't even college football season yet. But I already know where you're going. You're going to wear the gear up in here. I'm going to know every Bulldog fan and every Gator fan and every Seminole fan and every Tennessee fan and every Alabama fan. I'm going to know all of you. It's going to be easily identifiable. But can I identify you as a believer? Can I identify you as a worshiper? Can I identify you as a saved individual, a redeemed individual, one that's set free, one that's that's delivered? Come on. I should not be able to pick out your college team before I pick out the nation that you are assigned to and the kingdom that you support and the kingdom that you live from. I should not. Not on my watch. We're going to worship God in here. And we're going to praise God in here. In any way, shape, and form that we need to. Absolutely. Because he's worthy of it. Okay, uh, so I don't even know what I was saying before that, man. Jeez. Goodness. How do we identify? The serpent was more cunning. He's more tricky. He's deceptive. And so he comes to the woman. He said to the woman, has God indeed said? Man, there's so much in this passage that just sets us on, on a course of, of what God wants and, and what humanity wants and what the enemy wants. It's all right here. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Like I said earlier, before he declares a statement, he asks a statement. This is what we have to understand. The devil's nature in his deceptive nature, cunning nature, tricky nature. The way he operates is he asks questions. Now, I I, I love to ask questions. I, I believe that when we stop asking questions, we stop learning. I believe that, that when we are not growing ourselves from the inside out and we think we know it all and we think we've come to the conclusion that, that we cannot, I understand that. But we're talking about the deceptive nature of these questions. We're talking about what the intent is because later on in this passage, God asks a question. Questions are not inherently bad. Questions are not inherently bad. I'm not telling you to live life just, I believe what I believe and no one can challenge it ever. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say some things that will challenge what you believe. And you'll have to ask some questions. Ask the questions. But is the question in a desire to know? Is the question in a desire to grow? Is it in a desire to move forward? Or is it in a desire to stop the movement of? Pharisees asked a lot of questions. But I think that they were asking questions more in line with the nature of Satan than in line with the nature of God. Let me show you the difference. There's two types of questions that are asked in this passage. 
in Satan's questions, there's a process here. The first step is distortion. When Satan asks a question, his desire is to distort truth, to show you an alternative, to twist ever so slightly. Has God said, has God said, I'm telling you right now, if you question God's word, you're questioning God himself. It's one and the same. God never says anything he doesn't mean. God never says anything he doesn't intend to say. Nothing ever slips out of God's mouth. Very intentional with his words. And when his words go forth, his purpose goes forth. His power goes forth. Where the word of the king is, there is power. So Satan's first step is to distort. Well, this distortion leads to deception. This distortion leads to deception, to deceive. And deception leads to disbelief. Disbelief. Now, this might be kind of hard to hear, but disbelief, unbelief, is partnership with the demonic. When we move into disbelief, we are now siding from one kingdom to another. We are now moving our allegiance from one kingdom to another. So ending up in this disbelief, dangerous. And disbelief will always lead you to the fourth stage, disobedience. It just starts out with a simple distortion. Just the, just the questioning. Just the challenging. Have you seen it this way? Did God really say? Just a simple tweak. And from there, we end up in deception. We end up in, if we entertain it. Now next week, because we don't have time today, but next week we'll show you the alternative. There's a first Adam and there's a last Adam. It's not first Adam and second Adam because there won't be a third. Amen. It's first Adam and last Adam. I'm showing you the first Adam today. We'll show you the last Adam next week and we'll show you where the entertaining leads to the deception. The distortion comes. I don't have to accept the distortion. The twisting comes. I don't have to accept the twisting. The perversion comes. I don't have to accept the perversion. But distortion leads to deception. If we engage uh, the deception, it, be, it causes a disbelief. And then from disbelief, we move to disobedience. Evil things only become appealing to those who have forgotten who they are. Evil things only become appealing. How do we get to the place that we're at today? It started with distortion. It started with someone challenging and questioning the obvious. Yeah, the obvious. I want to walk so closely with God that his word is obvious, not mysterious. Doesn't mean I'm going to know everything, but when the truth comes, I want to see it for what it is in plain sight. And God isn't trying to hide it. He doesn't have it on a, on, on a stick dangling it out that it's something I can never achieve. No, he wants you to gain. He hides it so you'll value it. I said he hides it so you'll value it. 
But when you discover it, man, you see the treasure in the field, I'm buying the whole field. I want all of it. I want everything that God has for me. But this distortion, that's the first step. Now, God, when God asks the question, let me show you his process. When God asks a question, it starts with revelation. Revelation. From revelation, you gain an understanding. See, we want understanding before revelation. And God says, let me reveal it, not to your intellect. He reveals it to your spirit. Amen. So revelation leads to understanding. Understanding leads to greater faith. So when we have disbelief with the enemy, we've got greater faith with God. And greater faith always leads you to obedience rather than disobedience. So you can put it this way. The devil always asks a question to hide something. God always asks a question to reveal something. It's the nature of two questions. And so when the enemy is asking these questions, he's not asking because he's inquisitive. Hey, I, you know, I heard you had a conversation with God. Would you mind filling me in on what? You know, I just want to be on the same page. No, he's, he's wanting to bring doubt. He's wanting to cause unbelief. He's wanting to show you and introduce another way, and he's hoping you'll take the bait. He's hoping that you will, you will grab on and say, well, you know, I never thought about it that way. You know, I never, I never you know, Mr. Devil, I never thought that he was putting that on, on, on my body to try to teach me something. I just thought that was coming from you. I mean, wouldn't that be a great tactic? Wouldn't that be a great tactic for someone that knows more than you? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Why? Because your enemy knows more than you. We don't talk about that a lot. He knows more than you. He knows who you are. He knows who God is. He knows the word. He'll use the word against you. He used it against Jesus. He used the word against the word. That's how bold and brash he is. He's talking to the word of God made flesh and said, hey, by the way, did you know over in Psalms it says this? Are you serious right now? It's cunning. It's tricky. Worship team, if you come. Today, I just want to lay a foundation of how the enemy is introducing the questioning and the challenging and the distorting and the perverting and why we're in such an identity crisis. And we're going to look at it. We're going to look at how their identity is compromised because they entertained on the simplest level. Has God really said? Today, I want to see a people that can stand up against the questions and the challenges from the devil. I know he's cunning. I know he's tricky, but I don't want to see us fall prey anymore. I don't want to see us accepting anything that doesn't align with God's word. I don't want us to see, to find something mysterious that God designed to be obvious. I don't want us falling victim any longer to not knowing the word of God on a situation. There's things today that I'm so fully convinced of that it wouldn't even, bo it wouldn't even uh, bother having a conversation. If you're not asking me because you want to know, then the conversation's over. I've done that. 
I've had people want to talk to me about tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and man, man, if you want to learn, you want to grow in it, man, I will show you line upon line. I'll show you in the word of God, not someone's example, not the church I grew up in. I'll show you in the word where tongues is applicable and why it's so powerful in your life and why you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I can show you easily, no problem. But if you're coming to only bring to me your version or your side of it, conversation over, because I will not entertain to what is designed to dilute the truth that I know. That's confidence. That's an assurance. That's not arrogance. I don't know at all, but what I do know I'm going to walk in. So we've got to be valuers of truth. We, we've, got to, we've got to own that this word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because where the devil wants to get you is where you don't know. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Where he tripped up Eve, Adam, what they didn't know. We sing songs like Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. And in your mind, you're wondering, is he a Waymaker? Is he a promise keeper? Man, that's the, that's the enemy. That's that cunning. That's that trickiness. That's that, that, that's that deception. That's the distortion that leads to deception, that leads to disbelief, that allows us to fall out of alignment with God's word. You want to see victory in your life? Align with his word against all odds, against what I've seen, against where I've been, against what I've experienced. Come on, he is the promise keeper. That is who you are. That's a confident statement. I said, that's a confident statement. That is who you are. Not, is that who you are? See, you see how the devil wants to twist that? He just wants to move one word over and he wanted to change. He just want to add a little curly line on top of that dot at the end of the statement. No, that is who you are. Exclamation mark. There's no squiggly line down there. It's not, is that who you are? That is who you are. I'm confident in my maker. I'm confident in my keeper. I'm confident that he who promised is faithful to perform. If he did it before, he'll do it again. If he brought him through the Red Sea, he'll bring him across the mountains. He sure will. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.